I invite you now to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week in verse 12, and we'll be reading through verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to read those verses for us, but before I do, I remind you, as always, brothers and sisters, that what we're about to hear read is the word of the living God. And so may we tremble before it as such and receive it from our loving Heavenly Father's hand as such. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Beloved of God, the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God stands forever. So let's ask him now to teach it to us by his spirit. Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have heard now from your word. And so together we lift up our eyes to you who are enthroned in the heavens, and we ask for mercy. Mercy that we might rightly know you through your word. And so even as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, so too our eyes now look to you, the Lord our God, until you have mercy upon us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I'm sure that most of you are probably familiar with John Bunyan, the 17th century British preacher and author, most notably remembered for writing that perennially popular allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. But what some of you may not know, or most of you probably know this, he also wrote a spiritual autobiography that he called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And it was a story of his conversion and how the Lord was gracious and patient in his dealings with him. And in part, that title of his spiritual autobiography was inspired in part by this text before us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, where Paul says that I am the foremost, the chief of sinners. And yet, even though that was the case, God's grace, Romans 5.20, abounded to me. It super abounded to me. And so I find this absolutely fascinating 
that this is not only how Bunyan saw the Lord's interactions with him in his salvation, but we know even from Timothy here, and I think Bunyan would say the same thing, that they saw their entire lives as being characterized by grace abounding to them as the chief of sinners. And so my question for us tonight is quite simple. Is that how you would characterize your life? As the Lord showing you grace upon grace through his son, even as you continue to be a sinner. Because you see, when you have that kind of attitude and approach to God, you know what wells up from your heart? Gratitude. Thankfulness. And that's what we see characterizing John Bunyan's life from the point that he was converted. That's what we see as a hallmark of Paul's life once the Lord saves him because of the grace that God has shown him and his constant remembering that his mouth and his heart are filled with praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to God. And so, brothers and sisters, as we look at our text this evening, I want our hearts to be filled with a similar kind of gratitude. Because as we sit here, we are those who, by God's grace, have been saved because his grace has abounded to us, the foremost, the chief of sinners. And so I want us to not just remember Paul's salvation here, but our own, that it might stoke in us the flame of gratitude. And so we're going to look at three realities that Paul remembers here in this text tonight that we might remember as well God's gracious dealings with us, that it might issue forth in gratitude. First, we're going to look at how Paul remembers what he was saved from in verses 13 and 15. He remembers that God saved him from his gracious past, and in his current sinfulness, the Lord continues to be gracious towards him. Then we're going to see, secondly, that Paul remembers how he was saved in verses 14 and 15. That it wasn't through his efforts. It was simply by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, finally, we'll look at how Paul remembers why he was saved. That he was saved to the end that Christ's glory might be put on display. The gospel might go forward through Paul's service to Christ and many sinners might be converted, and we'll see that in verses 12 and 16. And my hope and prayer is that as we do this, as we look at these things that Paul remembers, that God would remind us this evening of how his grace has abounded to us as the chief of sinners, so that we might respond all our days in gratitude and thanksgiving. So let's look first then at how Paul remembers what he was saved from. And before we even jump into verses 13 and 15, I want us to reflect on why Paul is bringing up his testimony at this point in the letter. I think it's a good thing for us to slow down and go, okay, so why is Paul sharing this? It's a brief testimony, no doubt. But why is he bringing that up at this point in the letter? And I think there's two reasons for that. First of all, it makes sense that Paul is going into his own testimony Because if you look back just one verse at verse 11, you'll see that Paul ends his statement there in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And here's what he says, with which I have been entrusted. 
So the question that might naturally follow is, okay, well, how did that happen, Paul? And so Paul then naturally goes into, here's how the Lord saved me and called me as an apostle to a unique kind of gospel ministry. But the second reason that Paul brings this up is because I think he's using his own personal testimony as a part of his argument against the false teachers, against those who have abused God's law. They're not handling it the way that God intended his law to be handled because these false teachers are trying to put believers under the law as a covenant of works. And Paul says, no, 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 you're not to do that with believers. You're to do that with unbelievers. It's only a proper use of the law there. And Paul says, that's exactly how the law was used in my life by God's grace to crush me and show me the condemnation I was under God's wrath and to drive me to Christ. And so this is very much a shot as Paul shares his testimony at the false teachers. And so I think it's for those two reasons that Paul then goes into his testimony here. And so Paul then remembers in this letter to the Ephesians through Timothy what he was saved from. And the first thing that he says he was saved from was his sinful past. And we see that very clearly in verse 13. Look there with me. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. It's quite the rap sheet, isn't it? Paul starts out saying, I was a blasphemer. And what he's saying there is, I blasphemed against God. Now you'll notice at the end of verse 13 there, Paul says that he did this ignorantly. When he was blind and dead in spiritual death and in rebellion against God, he wasn't even aware of the fact that he was blaspheming against God. He thought, as he was persecuting Christians, that he was actually serving God. Why? Because in his fallen state, as he looked at the statements that Christians would make about Christ, who Paul just thought was a mere mortal, he thought it's blasphemy to call Jesus Christ God. Because Paul didn't believe in his fallen state when he was Saul that Jesus was God. And so he thought he was serving God by going after those who were blaspheming against his name. These Christians who were saying Jesus is the son of God. And yet now Paul sees, I was wrong, not them. I was wrong to say that Jesus isn't the Christ, the son of God. I was the blasphemer, not them though I thought it was the other way around. And Paul's hatred of God and hatred of God's people was so great that you remember when Paul stands before Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 11, and he gives a defense of why he shouldn't be before him. Paul says that he not only blasphemed against God, but he persecuted Christians so that they would blaspheme against God. So great was Paul's sin. So great was Paul's rebellion against God. And so he says, I've been saved from that. I'm not the blasphemer that I once was. He then goes on to say, you'll see there in verse 13, that he was a persecutor. And so Paul says, listen, I not only broke the first table of the law of the Ten Commandments, 
the first four commandments by not loving God, but actually blaspheming against him. But because of my rebellion against God, and this is always the way it works, I then also broke the second table of the law in the Ten Commandments. I sinned against my neighbor. And so I persecuted Christians. I didn't love my fellow man the way I ought to have because I didn't love God the way that I ought to have. And we know that by persecuting Christians, overseeing their very murders, Saul was not just persecuting Christ's church, he was also persecuting Christ himself. Which is why Christ says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, I was saved from that. From being a persecutor of Christ and his church. I'm no longer the man I once was. He goes on to say that he's been saved from being an insolent opponent. Think a helpful translation here of that is that he was a violent man. You remember whose feet did the Jews as they were stoning Stephen? Back in Acts chapter 7, whose feet were they throwing their coats? Who was overseeing the murder? of one of God's servants, Stephen, it was Saul. He was a violent man. He didn't stop that. He oversaw it. He approved of it. And then he was on the road to Damascus to go kill more Christians. And Paul says, I have been saved from that. As great a sinner as I once was. He goes on to say in verse 13, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now that statement might rub you the wrong way. You might think, oh, so he received mercy and was forgiven because he acted ignorantly? Is Paul somehow saying, I wasn't culpable of that sin? We're so used to that in our culture, maybe you didn't even catch it. Well, it wasn't really my fault. Is Paul saying what Adam and Eve said in the garden? It wasn't my fault, it was that woman you gave me. It's that serpent you made. No, that's not what Paul is doing here at all. Paul's not trying to excuse the horrific nature of his sins or his own culpability in that. Instead, what Paul is saying here is, listen, I'm like the unbelieving Jews of my day. Remember what Paul says about the unbelieving Jews of his day in Romans chapter 10, verse 2? He says that they had zeal without knowledge. And Paul says, that's exactly how I was. I had zeal for God. I wanted to serve God. But I didn't have knowledge. I didn't know what I was doing. It's like I was in a blind rage. And that's not to, again, excuse any culpability here, but to show that Paul's sin wasn't the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. He hadn't seen the truth clearly and then rejected that. No, he didn't see the truth clearly until Jesus intercepted him on the road to Damascus. And though his eyes were temporarily blinded, the eyes of faith were now opened. And he realized what a sinner he was before the Lord. And he was humbled before him and repented. And so Paul is saying here, one of the ways that we inculcate, nurture gratitude in our hearts is by remembering our sinful past and how we've been saved from it. But Paul doesn't just say that he's been saved from his sinful past. He also remembers how he is saved even in light of his present sinfulness. And we see that in verse 15. Look there with me. The saying 
is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Did you notice that Paul didn't say I was the foremost? He says I am. He's not talking about past tense, although I think there's a reference to that as well. He says I am the foremost. Paul's not only aware of his past sinfulness, he's aware of the fact that now that he has been saved by God's grace, he still doesn't live the way that he knows he ought to in light of the law. He still doesn't live a perfect life. And after God has shown him such incredible love and grace, he's stricken to his heart over that reality and says, God still saves me. From my present sinfulness, that continued struggle between the flesh and the devil. And this is not unique here, Paul's way of talking about himself. This is found in other places in his epistles as well. Think of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, where he says of himself what? I'm the least of all the saints. Or how does he describe himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 9? He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Because of his continued sinfulness, he had a very low view of himself in the sense that I am the chief of sinners in my continued struggle against sin. And yet Jesus' blood covers even that. It's only through Jesus' mediation that I have communion with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so this fills his heart with gratitude. And brothers and sisters, each one of us should be able to say the exact same thing. I just want to make two very brief points of application here that hopefully cause a little self-reflection in us. First of all, we should remember, recall what God has graciously saved us from on a regular basis. We should remember what state we were in when God regenerated us because it fosters gratitude and humility and thankfulness in us. And, you know, maybe you're like me and you think, well, it's... From a human standpoint, it doesn't look like I was saved from a whole lot. I was raised in a Christian home. Don't entirely remember a time when I didn't believe in the Lord. And yet I make it my regular habit to look back at all the opportunities that I had to participate in particular sins or all the various roads I could have gone down and remembering that the Lord restrained me. The Lord didn't let me go down that path. And so it should fill us with gratitude that the Lord has kept us from going certain places that we might have gone otherwise if left to our own devices. So we should regularly reflect upon what God has saved us from. And then secondly, and I thought this was fantastic, this is an application that I'm borrowing from John Calvin in his sermons on 1 Timothy. He said we should follow Paul's example here in not confessing our sins vaguely, but very specifically And particularly, that's what Paul's doing here. And now he's not doing that to just wallow in his sin and reflect on it with pleasure or anything like that. No, he's remembering what the Lord has saved him from. He's intelligently repenting of sin using the categories that scripture gives us. And so brothers and sisters, we should follow his example here. Whether you're repenting to another image bearer of God or you're repenting to the creator of all image bearers, the Lord himself. 
We shouldn't just do so, Lord, forgive me for my sins because I'm a sinner. No, what sins in particular have you committed? Again, not to condemn us because we're not under that condemnation. But out of gratitude and thankfulness for his forbearance and steadfast love, even in our continued sinfulness. And the more you see that happening in your heart, specifically confessing sins to others and to the Lord, that's an evidence of the Spirit's work in your heart. So we've looked first at Paul's gratitude over what Christ had saved him from. Secondly, let's look at Paul's gratitude over how he remembers how he was saved. How he was saved. And let's look at that first in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, how was he saved? He was saved by the grace of God. I could have also titled this point, who saved Paul? Paul didn't save himself. God saved him. Paul wasn't seeking God. God sought Paul. Because what did Saul bring to the table? Nothing but his own sin. His horrific sin as a blasphemer. As a persecutor. As an insolent opponent. A violent man. He brought the sin. And God brought all the grace. And the only reason he even came with his sin is because the Lord graciously called him, effectually drew him to himself and granted him the gift of faith and repentance. All Paul contributed was his sin. And yet as great as Paul's sin was, notice what he says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. I love that word overflowed there. Literally, it's super abounded. God's grace super abounded in Christ to me. Can you sense Paul's awe here? Because what he's saying is, my sin was so abundant, so horrific, so awful. And yet as great as my sin was, as abundant as my fallenness was, the grace of God superabounded. It abounded all the more to me. And so you get this sense that Paul is just amazed at the Lord's grace towards him. It's the same idea that he has, by the way, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul says, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Similar word in the Greek. And so Paul is saying, God has shown his abundant grace to me. As great a sinner, though I am the chief of sinners, his grace superabounded to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that grace, Paul says that there's grace upon grace because now there's fruit in his life. At the very end there, he says, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What a contrast. What a contrast. Because in his fallen state, what filled Saul's heart? Not faith, not belief, not trust in God, but unbelief and rebellion. But now that the grace of God is superabounded to him, there's this gracious work of the Holy Spirit issuing forth in fruit that there is now faith and trust in God. 
and in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the continued work of the Holy Spirit. What a contrast between Paul's previous unbelief and now faith, this gift that the Lord has given him. And where there was once hatred for God, hatred for neighbor, hatred for Christians, for Christ's people, Paul now says there is love for God, love for Christ and his church and his gospel. He now believes God and loves God and loves his neighbor. And so Paul now delights to obey the law of God, loves to, and is disappointed in the ways that his desires outstrip his performance. He never lives up to it out of love for God the way that he wants to, the way that God is deserving. And yet Paul says, there's this fruit now because God's grace has super abounded to me. How have I been saved purely by God's grace? And brothers and sisters, that's the testimony of each and every one of us here who is a believer this evening. But Paul says it wasn't just by God's grace. The means is by Jesus' incarnation that I was saved. And we see that in verse 15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now Paul is slowing his audience down here. He's wanting to slow us down And you know that because of this language he uses. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul makes statements like this five times in the pastoral epistles. We'll look at those as we continue our way through them. But this is Paul slowing them down and highlighting how important this truth is. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? What does Jesus say in the Gospels when he wants to slow down his audience and say, you really need to pay attention to this? What does he say? Verily, verily. I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, right? He's slowing them down and saying, this is of utmost importance. It is true. And what statement does he want to highlight? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Isn't that a glorious, succinct, brief summary of the gospel? Just eight words in the Greek. Jesus took on flesh, assumed a human nature, body and soul, like ours in every way, yet without sin. Why? So that you could, through your own efforts, and maybe a little help from the Holy Spirit, through law-keeping, justify yourself before God by your own good works? Is that why Jesus came into the world? To enable you to keep the law so that you could stand before God and God would say, justified? on the basis of your own works, even if you get a little help from the Holy Spirit? No. Or the possibility that some sinners might be saved? No. Jesus took on flesh to save us, to accomplish our salvation, to bring us back to God. It's exactly why in the Gospels, what does the angel tell Mary? She must name her son, that the Holy Spirit has wrought within her. You are to name him Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus has this exact understanding of his own ministry. In Luke 5, 32, what does he say? He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. They don't think they need salvation. I didn't come for those who think by their own law keeping that they can justify themselves before God. Because in one sense, there is no one righteous, is there? There's only those who think that they're righteous. But if they rightly understood God's law and God's holiness, they would understand none is righteous. But Jesus says, I came to call and save sinners. Behold God's grace in his son, saving sinners like you, saving sinners like me. And Paul says Jesus didn't just do this for him, he did this for all the elect, for all those whom the Father in eternity past in love gave to the Son to accomplish their redemption. So here's the question, Sovereign Grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save you? Someone's saying yes, and I appreciate the feedback. I'm glad. Amen. And that's good because that's our only hope, isn't it? We have no hope that we can save ourselves by our own works. You know that's true, that you can't save yourself by your own efforts. And so our only hope is if Jesus came into the world. Because otherwise, if he didn't, four sinners... You've got to save yourself by your own hands. And you know you can't, so you have no hope. You can have no peace. You can have no rest. So look to him. Look to the one who came to be your substitute, your mediator. Look to him in faith. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Because Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Jesus is our only hope. The grace of God is our only hope. So look to him and be saved. So Paul's remembering this. What he was saved from. How he was saved by the grace of God. And thirdly, lastly, let's look at Paul's gratitude over how he remembers why he was saved. Why he was saved. Look at the very beginning of our passage in verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So why was Paul saved? He's been saved for service to Christ. And how has he been called to that service? It's by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of this grace that he's been shown, he says there in verse 12, what? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what are we seeing here? It's, it's what we started with. Grace being shown to us by God, by the Holy Spirit, produces what? It produces gratitude. God's grace to us produces this kind of thankfulness. And Paul says that I've been able to do what I've done because the Lord's given me strength. He goes on to say, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now that statement there might sound a little odd to you again. Wait a minute. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service? It sounds like Paul might be saying, 
the Lord judged me faithful, and so because he judged me faithful, he appointed me to his service. Is that what Paul's saying? There's two possibilities here as far as if that's what he's saying. So let's think this through. Is Paul saying, the Lord, when he found me, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, he found me being faithful? No. What is Saul doing on the road to Damascus? He's on his way to go kill more Christians. He's not being faithful. He's blaspheming. He's persecuting. He's a violent, insolent man. So that can't be it. So what's the other possibility? The other possibility is Jesus looked down the corridors of time and saw the faithfulness of Paul, the future faithfulness of Paul, and said, you know what? Because you're going to be faithful, I'm going to appoint you to my service. We know that's not true, right? I actually hear some of you scoffing. We know that's not true. So what is Paul saying then here? What Paul is saying is, because the Lord has appointed me to his service, I am faithful. Because of the strength given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been a faithful apostle and gospel minister. You say, well, how can we know that that's what Paul's saying, Jason? Because the language sure sounds confusing. Well, listen to what Paul says in another one of his epistles in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. He says of himself that he is one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Same Greek word, trustworthy here in 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Same word as faithful in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. So what is Paul saying? It's by the Lord's mercy because he saved me and because he appointed me to be an apostle that I have been faithful as he strengthened me, as he's mercifully upheld me that I've been able to fulfill my calling. And that's also an evidence, by the way, Paul is saying here, that I am legitimate in what I do and in what I say because I've been faithful. And so ultimately what Paul is saying here is that he was called to the service of Christ and empowered by the strength of Christ for the glory of Christ. So that's the first reason Paul says that he was saved, why he was saved, Second of all, in verse 16, he says that he was saved to the end that he might display Christ's patience for sinners so that those sinners might believe. Look at verse 16 with me. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, listen, I've not just been called to service for Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace. I've also been saved that I might put on display Christ's incredible glory in how patient he's been with me. And so that's why Paul's talking about himself at all here. You know from Paul's other epistles how loath he is to talk about himself. But if it will serve to glorify Christ, Paul says, I'll talk about myself, that's fine. And he says, what is happening in my salvation is that as I go and preach the gospel to others, and there may be some that hear it and say, oh, Paul, you don't know me. Paul, you don't know about my sinful past. 
Paul, you don't know what a wretched, wretched man or woman I am. What sinful thoughts I've had. What sinful practices I've participated in. Paul can say, I'm the foremost. I'm the chief. You have no idea what God has saved me from. Let me tell you. Because if he saved me, he can save you. If he was patient and steadfast in his love towards me, he will be steadfast in his love and patience towards you as well. And so Paul says, my life and my salvation is an arena to put on display the glory of Christ's patience for sinners. That none might turn away and despair thinking that Christ is not a sufficient savior for them. And so if there's any here tonight who might think, my sin is too great, Paul says, I'm the chief. Behold the patience of Christ towards me. None of us is beyond the gracious grasp of Christ, no matter what you think of yourself. And so Paul says, that's why I've been saved, to put Christ's patience on display that other sinners who think they're beyond salvation might believe. So brothers and sisters, as we reflect on this, I hope you found yourself filled with gratitude and with thankfulness. As you've reflected not just upon what Paul has been saved from, but what you've been saved from. And the incredible grace towards God, even as you continue in your struggle against sin. And I hope you haven't just reflected upon how or by whom Paul was saved, but you realize you yourself have been saved by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on flesh to save sinners. And I hope that you understand why you've been saved. It's for service to Christ. Not the exact same service as Paul, but each one of us is strengthened now to serve Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because brothers and sisters, that's good news because that's what we were created for. (laughs) Service to God. And we now have that desire and we're given strength not to do it perfectly, but to do it truly and progressively. And so do you see the grace of God towards us as the chief, the foremost of sinners? Because he's shown us that grace, he will work this kind of gratitude in us now and into eternity so that we can sing that old hymn, Chief of Sinners, Though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high, lives that I may never die. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown us. And we pray that you would graciously work in us to remember what you've saved us from, how you've saved us and to the end, the glorious end that you've saved us, and that you would fill our hearts tonight and always with gratitude and thanksgiving, and that that would be the motivation for why we do everything that we do, out of love and thankfulness to you and to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask this in the name of the one who came into the world to save sinners, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen.